you're listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Brought to you in association with OvertimeIreland.com. Now, here's the OTI guys. Hello, welcome back to the OTI Podcast. Myself, Colin Kelly, as always, bringing this show as the, the host, but uh, my partner in crime, Doug Moore, is here once again. Doug, how's things going since uh, we last, it was kind of towards the end of last week, we had the last show with Pat Fitzmaurice. Awesome. This is the first week of football until, what, February? This is awesome. We're going on four, five, six months of football straight. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm certainly excited too, and we're starting to get into a nice rhythm here with myself and Doug, uh, you know, co-hosting the show. This is the episode 213, and I think Doug jumped aboard at episode 200, so we're starting to get into the teen episode, so we should be getting a bit of a, a rapport going here, and we're delighted to be joined on today's show by uh, Pat Doherty. Obviously, a lot of you will know him from RotoWorld. He's on Twitter at RotoPat. Uh, the honorary Irish man, I like to call him when he jumps aboard <laughs> the show uh, with that Doherty name. Uh, how's things, Pat? Good, yeah. Like, I think I joked before that my name is more Irish than yours, but I actually don't really think that's true. But uh, I, don't, I, I know a lot of Doherty's uh, living here in Ireland. They do spell it a little bit differently, but uh, yeah, I've seen that's one problem. Even in America, there's like forty different spellings of Doherty. And, and like a hundred different pronunciations, which shouldn't be possible. But well, I, I do think there is only one pronunciation, but I do. I think Americans like to try to sound Irish and uh, don't yeah, 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 yeah. get different options. But I enjoyed uh, the start of the Road to World podcast last week with you and uh, Ray Summerland talking about <laughs> the Doherty name. But before, uh, obviously, today is Monday. We're recording this one on Monday. We usually only have one show a week. We're hitting two this week, so lots of stuff to talk about. And there's lots of news. And a lot of time, as Doug alluded to there, it's kind of really kicking into football season now. The Packers reporting for training camp today. But a lot of news coming out uh, over the end of last week and then into today. And there's a, a couple of big fantasy ramifications on that. The, the lead story to talk about was Le'Veon Bell. But I'm going to skip that just for one second and jump into the Josh Gordon news. Obviously, uh, conditional reinstatement to the league. He's going to miss the first four games after meeting with Roger Goodell last week. Um, somebody who... You know, particularly in dynasty leagues that I, I am staying away from, uh, I actually was questioning, you know, with Le'Veon Bell about uh, about people being repeat offenders after that second strike. But just for, we'll talk redraft first. Um, obviously, Josh Gordon heading into the season. I know in your rankings that just came out today on uh, RotoWorld as well, pre-camp rankings, that you bumped him up a little bit after the news. But your thoughts on Josh Gordon and uh, his reinstatement? Yeah, I mean, like you said, clearly the kind of guy you can't trust that he's going to stay out of trouble forever. So in Dynasty, a much dicier proposition. But, you know, in Redraft, he's got a guy where his price could spiral out of control because yep. he's, he's the kind of thing, you know, he's like the, the light at the end of the tunnel, the kind of promise that people just love to chase. You know, people love the stashes and especially someone like Josh Gordon, who's you know has such a dominant season on his resume, his 2013. But, you know, I think... I think people have been burned by him so many times in the past that maybe the expectations will be a little more realistic, a little more sober this time around, that you can yeah. actually kind of get him maybe at a value price. And I think he's someone who should be drafted as kind of like a surefire, high upside wide receiver three. Like clearly we can't count on a wide receiver one, wide receiver two right out of the bat. I mean, he's played five games in two years. But you know, this is a guy who, his 2013, not an exaggeration, I mean, one of the better receiving seasons in NFL history. I mean, yeah. He averaged almost 19 yards per catch on 87 catches, one of the highest yardage totals in NFL history. So he's still only 25. And so when there's a guy 
with that kind of season on his resume, I mean, even with the suspensions, even with the questionable supporting cast, I mean, he's not someone that you can just let slide forever. And I think he should be drafted as definitely as a kind of a high upside wide receiver, wide receiver three, and a guy who really, when it's all said and done, could be a wide receiver one. So, like I said, hopefully they're expectations are a little more in check and he doesn't get into like you know like the fourth round of drafts or anything like that but i think someone who presents a you know a real opportunity in the mid rounds of drafts this year yeah i think there's no doubt about the the talent has always been there we've seen you know people talk about you know having good quarterback play he had absolutely nothing that year either when he had such an exceptional year he actually i think that he missed the first two games that season two coming off of suspension, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so you know absolutely phenomenal player there's no doubt about that but i just uh, think when these red flags keep appearing and keep appearing and if we keep going after it we're going to keep getting burned and uh, another question i just have for you here you have him in that kind of 30 uh two number 32 wide receiver after the news you're putting him that's kind of putting him in around the you know that kind of fifth round to sixth round range is the, you said about him not going into the fourth round but is he somebody you'd be comfortable even in the sixth round taking he's at that price uh, i think he's somebody that's always going to slip past me yeah, I think in the sixth round, I would honestly, I might be ready to take the plunge. Then you know, the sixth round usually when you're kind of getting around the the RB threes, you're like, do yeah. I really want this guy? Or kind of like the like the plotting, not plotting, but kind of like the workman like wide receiver threes who you know don't have have established like a nice floor, but a kind of established low upside. So to me, it's kind of the perfect part of the board where. You know, there's not a lot of times the most upsides to be found in the earliest rounds and kind of the later rounds and the, the middle rounds are kind of where you kind of get stuck with some of the real dull and boring guys. <laughs> but I think in like the sixth, seventh round area, I mean, that's a kind of, you know, why take an RB3 when you could take a chance on Josh Gordon? And of course, he's going to miss four games, but when he comes back, and he could be one of the most important players in your team. So I said, yeah, don't want him to get out of control like he was a few years ago, like third and fourth round, but sixth, seventh sounds good to me. Yeah, I think I'd still be letting him slide, but definitely you're looking at you know trying to get league winners at that point, and he's definitely going to have a lot more upside if he can deliver than a lot of the other guys in there. We're going to let Doug handle the next one first, and it's uh, Le'Veon Bell. Obviously, the news coming out uh, towards the end of last week uh, after we recorded that he was looking like he was going to have this four-game ban coming up to start the season. It is his second strike in the, the NFL drugs policy. It is for several missed tests. He has a pain in it. He seems quite confident himself that he's going to get over this uh, suspension and not have to serve it, but uh, it's very very rare that you see any of these appeals won and i think again that uh, he is going to miss those first four games of the season uh obviously his going from arguably you know coming in with the injury uh, injury concerns is he somebody that you know he's going in the top three prior to this are you happy taking him now even in that top seven to ten wide res- or running back range doug yeah in the top seven to ten i'd be more than happy to i'm just concerned that there are going to be people uh, and, and it's by all means, hey, you're getting, playing against 11 or 13 other guys potentially that want to take him beforehand. Go right ahead because I think that, uh, like you mentioned, the injury concern was already there prior. He's coming off a torn MCL. And then he's got this four-game suspension that is highly unlikely to be turned over. I mean, granted, anything could happen, but we can't count on him playing all 16 games, um, even if he had a full schedule ahead of him because just simply he's an injury risk. Uh, we've seen him go through several uh, major injuries in the past, and it'll be hard to assure that he'll, he'll be ready for that. So um, there are going to be people that are going to take him in the top three just because of upside, and, and upside-wise, you can't blame him. I, I don't either. It, you know, It is an upside pick, but the reality of the situation is he's probably going to miss four games. He's probably going to miss probably one to two games. Maybe not, but you always have to account for that when it comes to injury. Um, but if he plays 10 games, which I think he only played like seven or eight last year, 
Um, that's I would say it's still victory, but um, I, I don't know if I'm ready to give him a top three pick. I still think that guys like David Johnson, Adrian Peterson, Todd Gurley, David Johnson, I think I already mentioned him, but guys like uh, Ezekiel Elliott I meant, um, guys like that I'd rather take uh, just because I think they have a higher chance of even playing 16 games, which we at right now know for certain, at least right now, that he's not going to play that bell, that is. So, yeah, maybe in the top 7 to 10 range, but you're probably going to still see people take him in the top 5, probably top 7. I'd lead more towards the top 10. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't confident taking him just because he had a first-round price tag on him. I try to stay away from running backs in the first round if I can. But, uh, yeah, I'm even more afraid of him now just with the suspension. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Can I look, just looking at your rankings that you've up uh, today, Pat, your top 50 running backs, uh, you know, you're, I'm going to go through these. You have Todd Gurley, number one, then David Johnson, Adrian Peterson, Lamar Miller, Ezekiel Elliott, Doug Martin, C.J. Anderson, then Le'Veon Bell. So you've been slotted in at the eight, posi- eight position. Uh, with, is that taking into account that he is going to miss the four games, or is that taking into account that there is just that still possible David and then out of your list the only person that I would slot ahead of him I would actually slot Mark Ingram up ahead of him there in that range and I would probably slide him down to nine but he's somebody with the band coming up that you know it's going to have to be probably getting into that third fourth turn before I would even start to consider him I am kind of risk averse when it comes to uh, particularly the uh, NFL drugs policy just because of the you know after that second suspension there's just so much risk going into that yeah, and I, I've got him. I agree with you guys. It's, you know, he's projecting confidence about getting the ban overturned, but you know, that's pretty rare. I'm assuming he's going to get the four game suspension. And you know, before I, I considered him the consensus number one running back overall, I and mean, I didn't really think there was a whole lot of debate about it. But you know, now you know the second suspension just kind of highlights all the problems with him. You know, he's a guy who. When he comes back, you know, are they still going to trust a guy like these monster workloads who's coming off the second suspension and a second major injury, you know, in the past two years? There's just all these questions, you know, now the Steelers have to be reevaluating, you know, how much can we really build around this guy? Like, can we, you know, last year they kind of plug and played him, like immediately, like gave him back his old role when he, when he, at the beginning of the year, like this, you know, this year they got to be thinking, you know, is he going to be here two or three games? And is he going to get suspended or is he going to get injured again? And so I think it might be kind of more of a committee type situation than it was before, even if he is back and not, not like a full blown 50 50 committee or anything, but I don't think you're going to be able to count on him for like the 20 to 25 touches people were kind of maybe assuming when they had him in the top three overall. And just, just so much risk. And yeah, I just, yeah, you guys kind of broke it down well. We're like, how much can you really trust Le'Veon Bell at this point? Yeah, and just, uh, you know, when we're talking about him, Josh Gordon, the suspension appeals and so on, you know, a lot of people don't take, I don't think, particularly in Dynasty Football, don't take enough into the effects of being in the drugs policy because the first step of getting into it is you have to fail at, at least one test, sometimes multiple tests. Then you meet with, you know, a, a doctor in the NFL to try and get you help. You're in that system for 90 days. And if you don't, get into trouble in those 90 days whether it's a failed drugs test or show no willingness to cooperate with the system then you're out of that and you stay out of the system but once you fail that first test you really that's when the trouble begins because of the repeat tests on more regular occasions so once you're in it there can be them issues then when you're in it and you fail it the second time that four game ban you know is obviously a huge concern but the next time that third strike like similar to what we see with Martavis Bryant this year we've seen it last year with Josh Gordon could we be seeing it this time next year with Le'Veon Bell so long term uh, I always have that concern We've, we've seen a lot of players, you know, 
going all the way back to Justin Blackman, who have got into you know these sort of situations, can't get it started on the field, and uh, you know that there definitely concerns me. And both of these guys are heading in in the next uh, kind of year to eighteen months, heading into the end of that rookie contract. So long term for the teams outside of fantasy football, in particular, if you're playing in dynasty leagues, uh, major major concerns whether the team is going to want to hold on to them. I know all the talents there, but uh, you know when you're starting to to pony up guaranteed money for uh, these players and you're you have that ban looming over you, it's definitely concerning. Just uh, I'll let both of you answer this, but I think I have more faith in Bell going forward, but his injuries probably worry in this situation. I'll set a line of over-under career games from this point forward for Josh Garden. Over-under 17 games, so that would be him playing all 12 this year and then at least five next season. Uh, over or under, Pat, on that there number? I guess i got to say over. Uh, you know, the, the reports on him have been... Just because he's still so young, he's only yeah. 25 years old, and there's been a lot of off-season reports. You know, oh, he's a different guy. You know, he finally gets it. He understands it. And I think when he's only 25, I mean, teams are going to be interested in a talent like Josh Gore until he's probably like at least 30 or 31. <laughs> he's the kind of guy who'll keep getting second yeah. chances as long as he avoids like serious legal trouble. But, you know, if it's just quote unquote just weed or whatever, I think teams even if he got another suspension, it's not like there wouldn't be a third or fourth chance out there. So since he's only 25, I'll take the over. And uh, let you go, now, Doug. Yeah. So I think the thing is, is that we've seen it so long that. No matter the trouble, for the most part, that you get in as an NFL player, as long as you're talented, teams are going to be interested. We just saw Greg Hardy go through a yeah. two-day workout with the Jaguars, <laughs> and, and, and what the guy did is horrible. Yeah. And I, I don't think anybody you know, in their right mind would want him to play if they had a choice, but he's talented. He's a talented pass rusher, and teams are still going to be interested in. He got $10 million last year, I believe. So it's just a situation where it's sort of the same with Josh Gordon. Obviously, nothing nearly as severe, but he's been through that drug policy so many times. I think the next time he he gets suspended or, or something like that, it's probably like eight games or something like that. I don't have the numbers in front of me. But like Pat said, uh, yeah, as long as you're talented, he's still young. And I I still think he actually has a decent support system around here if you get rid of Johnny Manziel, which may never happen. But Jim Brown got involved, Hugh Jackson, they finally have a stable head coach there, I think. Um, So it'll be interesting to see. But I think that if if there's a situation for, for Josh Gordon, it might be this one where he has a guy like Jim Brown on his side. And again, someone like Hugh Jackson, hopefully a more stable. And we could hardly say that for the Browns over the past five, ten years where they've had a stable front office, uh, coaching staff, and stuff like that. So I, I think that I'm going to have to take the over on this, and, and really it just goes back to as long as you're talented and can still play, no matter what you do for the most part, besides something that gets you in jail, I guess, uh, teams are unfortunately going to be interested in you. So I, I'll take yeah. the over on that. Yeah, and I, I, kinda, I do agree with you. There's obviously more chance that he plays more games, and people are probably listening and saying, oh, columns you know been very very cautious here but i just wanted to i don't think there's been enough talk uh, you know just off the cautionary tale just even today you know there's a video end up with maybe it's alden smith maybe it's not we'll not get into the speculation of that but he's another player that's out for the year you asked about josh garden if he failed another test it's another one year uh, ban again you know uh, Dion jordan's looking to get back into the league and get reinstated there's just lots of players who have had these issues and another thing i want to point out is you know i think that, that marijuana should be legal in the nfl i don't think it should be as as bad, you know, you talked about Greg Hardy there. Some of the situations, you know, the players do get involved in and get away with compared to guys, you know, for smoking whatever they want to smoke. So I just think that that rule needs to be outlawed and banned, and these players should be allowed to play. But that's not the the current situation in the NFL. 
couple other bits of news to bounce through and uh, just to let the listeners know about them. Uh, Junior Galette tore his Achilles. He's with the uh, Washington Redskins. The only reason I want to really talk about that, obviously it's a blow for them, but he is counting for $1.1 million on the Redskins cap this season. And to show how bad of a job the Saints have done with their cap situation over the last uh, number of years, probably the last eight years, uh, he's counting for $12.1 million against their cap this year. Uh, talk about a dead money hit. Pat, the Saints, will they ever learn? Um, that's a good question. Twelve point one million, and he's well, not been on the roster. The, you know, <laughs> I guess in their defense, that wasn't necessarily their kind of typical salary cap trouble. That was more because they actually took a stand yeah. and released. Yeah, they did release him. Malcontent player, so it's a little different. But no, <laughs> I have not seen any indication that they are going to turn over a new leaf for the salary cap. I mean, even this year they're doing things where I didn't think they had money to kind of make any big signings, and, you know, and they give like a billion dollars to Kobe Fleener. So <laughs> no, the long answer, short answer to your question is I do not think the Saints will ever learn. Sorry, yeah, uh, just a couple other parts, a few retirements to talk about. Uh, Greg Jennings, obviously known for his time with the Packers, one of my uh, you know I have some great memories being a Packers fan of him, particularly in the Super Bowl victory against the Pittsburgh Steelers um, after 10 years in the league he's retiring the end of his career you know with the the Vikings of Miami obviously didn't go as well as he would have planned but uh, definitely a solid career there from him uh, Cardinals uh, former player with the Cardinals Darnell Dockett he played 10 years as well but he's retiring uh, press conference scheduled on Monday obviously he's stepping away there as well and Phil Lodeholt uh, this one probably came as a bit more of a surprise but his uh, you know with the Vikings his his money cut down earlier in the season from six uh, in, in the offseason season six million down to two million for this season and uh, you know he's coming off that achilles tear too so for somebody of his size tough injury to come back from and he's missed the last 21 games with uh, a shoulder issue in 2014 and then obviously all last season as well with that achilles injury so uh, no real surprise that he's uh, stepping away at this point i suppose uh, with all things considered uh, next thing just want to give a plug to obviously uh, i did promote it on twitter over the weekend uh, nfl euro shopper giving us a 10 percent discount code for all merchandise on there so if you're looking for some merchandise heading into the season want to get some of your favorite team's gear uh, of course you can do that with nfl shop europe unfortunately the code was meant to be here for me to give out to all the listeners on today's show but it will be given out tomorrow on twitter and of course then on the show later in the week so don't miss out on that opportunity and of course we're all here on the show to talk nfc west after all that news uh, it didn't look like there was gonna be much news when i started to plan this show and the news really did take over this week but getting into the nfc west and i'm gonna let pat as he is the guest jump aboard the first team going with the division winners it is the cardinals from a fantasy football perspective obviously the wide receivers here uh, all three of them kind of grouped in a very very similar range and you know I, I would say the top wide receiver core in the league. Which one off the tree at their value at the moment would you want in 2016? You know, it's hard to argue with Michael Floyd at the wide receiver 25, 26 type range. You know, basically last year when he was healthy, he got a hundred yards. Basically, got a hundred yards every time he was healthy last year. So I think it's a pretty fair price for him. But for me, John Brown is the guy. He's going as like the wide receiver 30. Had a really explosive year last year. I've heard some good arguments, especially from Raymond Summerlin at Roto World, yeah. who I work with, uh, that you know could have a hard time matching last year's efficiency. But when I watch John Brown, you know, I, I see a guy who sometimes looks like Antonio Brown with how crisp his routes are, and 
you know, sometimes it almost looks like a poor man's Odell Beckham to me. It was kind of combo inside-outside game, just pure natural explosiveness. And if I'm picking a receiver this year to kind of go from, like, the second tier, you know, kind of like mid-range wide receiver two, wide receiver three range, maybe up to the high-end wide receiver two, maybe even wide receiver one range, I think John Brown's as good a bet as any, you know. Larry Fitzgerald's there to kind of steal away targets from Floyd and John Brown, but he's kind of almost used as, not to be dramatic, but kind of like a tight end down the stretch last year and needed him to block a lot more and kind of clear out space over the middle of the field, averaged only like eight or nine yards per catch in the second half of the season. So, yeah, I'm really bullish on both Floyd and uh, John Brown, but if i got to choose one, John Brown as the wide receiver 30 is an absolute steal to me. Yeah, you mentioned there as well Fitzgerald kind of playing a bit more of a tight end role. Uh, he really seemed to relish that blocking role down the stretch, and he has to be, in my opinion, in the top two or three blocking wide receivers in the NFL the way he finished last year. But you mentioned there, you did say that John Brown was the guy, and I think you meant the guy that you want. He, in my opinion, is the guy in that team. And although Floyd is very, very talented, more of your typical number one wide receiver I, I was listening to you on the podcast as I mentioned the Road to World podcast and I was nodding along as you were making those comparisons <laughs> you know uh, I, I definitely agree with uh, everything you've said there and he's the guy that I would be going for too and particularly when he's going that little bit after as well in the in the draft a couple of picks later you're looking around you know that mid to late uh, fifth round early sixth round kind of pick range so uh, Doug are you going a different road or are you jumping aboard uh, with both of us on the, the John Brown train? Yeah, no, I mean, I've done recent uh, mock drafts. I've done some of the um, mock draft army with the uh, Howard Bender fantasy alarm. Um, and, and what I'm seeing is, especially in, in you know, leagues where even you have to start three wide receivers, I'm still able to get John Brown as my number three wide receiver. And I love it. And, and like Pat said, um, you know, getting him at the wide receiver 30, so in a wide receiver three sort of uh, role, that could be a steal because I think that he is the guy um, like Pat said, I can't really add much more to it. I think Fitzgerald will still be um, the number two guy for them. I don't see Floyd really having as big of a role as Fitzgerald does. Um, and we saw that last year. Obviously, Floyd had a horrible hand slash fingers injury, which I don't even want to talk about. But, um, you know, it, it's a situation where uh, I, I totally agree with Pat. I think we talked about this a few weeks ago, a little yeah. bit not as in-depth. But I, I would say that definitely John Brown is the guy out of the three that I think will be the best Cardinals wide receiver this year in fantasy. And and uh, like Pat said, if you're getting him at wide receiver 30, uh, that's a steal. And I would take that 10 times out of 10. Yeah, and just there, obviously, you kind of mentioned them that you thought that uh, Floyd would be the third option in that. I think when we come to the end of the season, I think we're going to see that it'll be Brown and then Floyd and then Fitzgerald. I think Fitzgerald will start to get another step back. And I think in PPR leagues, I still think he'll be a, a big, big player. But when you're looking at uh, he'll be getting a lot more shorter catches, you know, shorter routes, uh, kind of getting into that kind of slot receiver, that maybe tight end kind of similar role that you uh, kind of alluded to. And there isn't much at the tight end position. I don't know if there's any that you out of these guys that you want to you want to bring up any Cardinals tight end options, or are we skipping that and getting straight to uh, Mr. David Johnson? Yeah, I don't think we need to talk about Jermaine yeah. Gresham in 2016. I don't so. think so either. And I was just saying, yeah, real quick, I, I agree with Colm. I think. I think Larry's going to kind of, it's kind of sad, but I think he'll kind of be a distant third in terms of fantasy. I'm going to have to take umbrage with Doug there. But uh, <laughs> I will agree with Doug that, like, Doug said he's been getting uh, John Brown as his third wide receiver in all leagues. And, like, I've been doing a few MFL 10s, MFL 25s, and can can confirm. And so even in a best ball league, I've yeah. been able to get John Brown as my third wide receiver, which 
you know, to me, it's just like free money. So yeah, I mean, and you know, that might change because I get the feeling we're not going to be the only people hyping John Brown. This, <laughs> but you can get him as your wide receiver three. You need to do it. Yeah, it's every time I listen to a podcast and I hear somebody talking about players that I think are undervalued. I keep thinking, oh, let's just stay quiet on that player. But I, know. I guess uh, we'll bring it up. Uh, then we're getting on to David Johnson, obviously somebody who's really ramped up the boards. Uh, finished the season strong last year, obviously. Um, you know finishing up with uh, a bit uh, like you see, the last couple of games uh, people are talking about that week 17 game against the Seahawks has been a, a big down game for him and you know he kind of didn't play well but that the whole team just basically didn't turn up and they basically tried to take an extra bye week towards the end of the season to finish that when they really got dismantled at home against the Seahawks got bottled up a little bit against the Packers in the playoffs they kind of tried to hold them inside and not let them bounce things to the outside that would be my only concern with him is can he do it between the tackles uh, on a regular uh, basis but i just see here be, beside uh, your ranking off movement number two heading into the season averaged 132 yards from scrimmage on 21 touches in his five starts so you know if you're getting that there getting the the number of touches he's getting passes out of the backfield and if he's picking up over 100 yards per game you're you're really onto a winner there number two i know there's a lot of shuffling around with the running backs at the moment with Le'Veon bell and so on but is he somebody you're happy to to just go with that number two pick uh, you know if you're He's kind of going that kind of 9, 10, 11 spot uh, at the end of the first round and, and redraft. wouldn't say necessarily happy, but to me, David Johnson, me having a number two kind of just speaks to what is becoming kind of like the normal uncertainty at running back where, you know, like, uh, cause, you know, we learned last year, you know, when you, when you draft a guy that high based on only one year, like a guy like Jeremy Hill, you know, yeah. really we're drafting. Monte Ball. Yeah, we're yeah, we're drafting David Johnson super high based on only like six or seven games. But yeah. you know, he's playing for a coach who's always loved kind of three down foundational backs. You know, last year they played around a little more with the committee, but once David Johnson got that starting job, you know, he was kind of a very classic three down Bruce Arians back and, and there were a lot of questions about if he could run between the tackles, like you said, but to me he ran with a lot of authority. I think he ran kind of the necessary violence and anger and yeah. maybe did wear down a little bit at the end of the year, but you know, he's a rookie and like you said that we Week 17 game, the Cardinals didn't try. Yeah, they phoned it in. And, you know, the Cardinals offense, the whole final, like, four four to six weeks of the season kind of looked like in a funk as Carson Palmer, I think, was playing through a finger injury. Yeah. And But, you know, yeah, I think, to me, he looks like the classic kind of three-down Bruce Arians back. And I wish I had more than six or seven games to go on, but running back is just such a jumbled mess. And guys that have David Johnson's kind of role are so rare these days that I just think, I think you got to take the plunge. Yeah, and obviously, um, you know, with Bruce Arians being involved, uh, I don't know if you've seen uh, All or Nothing, but there was a lot of interesting stuff to look behind the scenes in that situation. And you mentioned there as well, Carson Palmer obviously had the finger injury towards the end of the season, was really struggling when you see the behind the scenes footage of uh, how much trouble he was going through in Toronto. But looking now, Doug, at Carson Palmer heading into the season, he was very, very productive last season. We're looking at the wide receivers he has at his disposable, disposal. Sorry, we're looking at the, the running back situation. You can even throw Chris Johnson in there, you know, if you're, you're looking to add him and Andre Ellington somebody who probably this time last year people were quite high on but you know got injured again and fell away uh, last season but when you're looking at what you've got with him uh, 11 out of um, his 16 games last year turned into multiple touchdown games age and in- injury history are probably a concern he's 36 years old but he's going at the minute it was kind of in around the the sixth quarterback off the board and if he stays healthy for the season and if uh, you know there's a lot of ifs going to be said here but if his uh, playmakers stay healthy I can't really see him finishing lower than the sixth quarterback overall in fantasy this year is he somebody that you'd be happy to uh, have as your starting quarterback for the uh, entire 2016 season um not with where he's being picked right now um 
I think he's going to be a very solid uh, fantasy quarterback, but I, I'm not so sure I would take him in the top eight. Um, now, granted, looking at the second half of last season, he finishes the 14th best quarterback. Yep. Now, granted, you could contribute a few things to that. The finger injury. We don't know how severe it was and how much it can affect a quarterback when he's throwing. Um, I was never a quarterback. I was a lineman in high school. So, <laughs> um, But I, I think that there's a little bit I think there's a little bit of concern when you think about it. Yes, he does. He has the age on, you know, against him. Um, I think that even though he has all the weapons, I'm not so sure that they're going to have to rely on him. Obviously, they're not going to have to pass the ball, I don't think, 50 times a game, as opposed to a team like the Browns who are always going to be down because Arizona boasts one of the best defenses, if not the best defense in the league. Uh, just they have talent all at all positions. So they may not be forced to throw the ball a lot. They could just control the game clock and, and run the ball like crazy with, you know, David Johnson. Chris Johnson still is somebody, if he comes back from injury, could still be serviceable. He was last year. Um, so I'm not so sure I'm going to take Carson Palmer with a top six pick. Um, but, you know, I'm not saying he can't be valuable as a as, as a fantasy quarterback, but I'm not so sure that I'm going to call him a top six just yet. I, I think if you can get him at the eight to ten range, I'd be more comfortable. But uh, considering the ADP of where you'd have to pick a, a number six quarterback, which is probably too early for my liking anyway, yeah. uh, I'm not going to go after him that early, no. Yeah, I'm somebody who's always going to wait on a quarterback quite some time. And if you look at the guys then going after him, uh, you know, you've serviced all the guys like Matt Ryan, Tyrod Taylor, Andy Dalton, who people forget was on a, on a real tear last season up until his injury. Uh, Who's MVP? Yeah, then Kirk Cousins, Tony Romo, Derek Carr, Philip Rivers, Eli Manning. So there's lots of options later on. So I think I'd be sitting and waiting. What about you, Pat? Uh, sitting and waiting on a quarterback, or would you be going that early for one? Yeah, I mean, I'm always sitting and waiting too. Yeah. And I agree with Doug. Where Carson Palmer's being overdrafted right now, I'd yeah. be much more comfortable with him, kind of in the QB nine to twelve range. You know, his injury history has kind of run the gamut in recent years. Where obviously he had the severe ACL, and then he had kind of the strange nebulous nerve issue <laughs> held him out for a few few games yeah. and then you know even a little thing then like a finger and he's just such a statue in the pocket that he's he, going to get hit yeah it can kind of be an injury waiting to happen so which you know maybe should cool how hot i am on john brown uh now i'm talking about how scared i am uh, <laughs> Arson Palmer. but yeah yeah he you know he plays if you told me today he was going to play all 16 games, I'd probably be pretty comfortable with him as like the QB7 or QB8. But not knowing what his future has in store, I'd say I'm much more comfortable with Carson Palmer in the QB9 to 12 range. Yeah, I said he was going number six, and I said I thought he would finish around that range. I think you're looking at him between you know kind of six and te- uh, six and nine when the, the season ends, and that range of quarterback outcome. And you're, I'm always looking for somebody who's going to outperform where you draft them. And if you draft him as QB6 and he finishes QB6 or 7, you're not getting any value there. So I'm definitely waiting at that point. On to the Seattle Seahawks. Obviously, there's a, an interesting situation going on with them with the end of the kind of two split seasons last year almost started off in their usual run-heavy situation. But then Graham got injured. Uh, you know, Marshawn Lynch was injured and they started to go a lot more pass-heavy. So looking into it this season, I'm really going to just open the floor here to Pat, obviously give him his option. Uh, looking at it, are you looking to go and avoid all the running backs here and just get either Russell Wilson or a pass catcher? Or who would you target out of the entire Seattle Seahawks offense? 
Well, I guess if I could choose one, it would be Russell Wilson, who yeah. you know, last year threw for a new career high in yards by over 500 and didn't lose any of his efficiency. He actually got more efficient and kind of realized his dual threat destiny last year. It was just, just a wrecking ball down the stretch. If, he, if, almost, if Cam didn't have the season he had, we'd all be talking about Russell Wilson right yeah, now. Yeah, that's 100% true. Yeah, he averaged almost 30 fantasy points per game in the second half of the season. So if I had to choose one... Uh, Seahawk. I'm definitely choosing Russell Wilson. You know, but Thomas Rawls was a guy I was super excited about. Uh, you know, down sick. the stretch. You know, anytime an undrafted rookie can average over five and a half yards per carry and have a few like 150 yard games, you know, you really got to take notice. But then he suffered. You know, seemingly one of the most serious injuries he could have suffered. You know, the way they talked about him all off season. You know, went from being kind of a what was viewed as the kind of a normal quote unquote ankle injury to something that might have held him out for week one. And, you know, then the draft kind of speaks for itself. They drafted three running backs and kind of said this on the Roto World podcast last week too, but you know, they drafted a running back almost every style, kind of a scat back. They an Alex Collins, an early down grinder, and then of course the third down back in CJ Procise. And so to me, Thomas Rawls went from a guy who I was going to be super excited about, kind of maybe a dark horse first rounder, to now someone that kind of more like a third or fourth round dice roll to me, where there's still some upside and that still some you know, a lot of upside in an offense that's traditionally been run first for him, and you now they're claiming will be run first, but see, see, Seahawks are still going to run the ball, but I think that they're going to be more, much more basically as pass happy as they've been during the Russell Wilson era, era just, that's just kind of by the nature of their personnel. You know, they got the injured running back and they've got three other running backs. And then they've got a really great three wide receiver set and Tyler Lockett, Doug Baldwin and Jermaine curse. So I just think by virtue of all that, they're going to have to be more pass happy and Russell Wilson has proven he can handle it. So yeah, Russ, Russell Wilson, you know, I'm all aboard this year. Thomas Rawls, I am cautiously optimistic of the prices, right? Yeah, you mentioned Russell Wilson, and I mentioned as well that I'm usually waiting on a quarterback, but Wilson's starting to go at that start of the, the fifth round, early fifth round. But if he was to start to slide and I was picking towards the, the late fifth round, if he was there, I'd be really, really tempted because, as I mentioned, he, he just had a phenomenal season, particularly down towards the end of it. And I think if Cam Newton hadn't had that season that he had, we'd all be starting to talk about Russell Wilson, and he, he's the fifth quarterback going off the board uh, and most league so uh, Doug any of the uh, Seahawks that you're particularly interested in you want to add to there yeah so one guy I, I don't think we talked about enough and, and granted the street the the sort of uh streak that he went on at the end of last season is pretty unsustainable but Doug Baldwin is a guy I'm really interested in especially considering his ADP so I'm looking at my fantasy league right now I'm looking at MFL right now in redraft league so you could say best ball but he's going as the 26th wide receiver right now uh which is behind guys like Jordan Matthews and Kelvin Benjamin. And I can't agree with that because I think that he's the number one option in a team that's not going to necessarily go pass happy, but it's going to go more towards the pass, not as run heavy as they used to be because, simply put, they didn't have a lot of weapons in years past. Now, granted, Doug Baldwin's been there, but he's really emerged after being an undrafted free agent out of Stanford. He just signed a big, a big extension this offseason. And, and going in the wide, high-end wide receiver three range when he finished, I think he was a top 10 wide receiver last year. Granted, again, the streak that he went on was kind of hard to um, sustain again this year but I still think he has value there 
I still think that they're going to be in a position where they're going to be able to throw it a lot and run it a lot. And I think that Doug Baldwin's still the unquestioned number one guy in this offense in terms of passing offense, especially with Jimmy Graham. Who knows when he's going to come back? He's coming off the same injury that Victor Cruz has, which took him a year and a half to recover from, if he ever even recovers. So it'll be interesting to see. But getting him in out of the side, outside of the top 25, I love that value there. Um, and then when you look at it, Tyler Lockett's only going three slots later than him. That might be a little overvalued, um, simply because even though I love his talent, I still think he's going to be the number two guy, and he may not have as big of a role as people think, despite how well he did. So if there's a guy I'm liking on the Seattle Seahawks team, it's going to be uh, Doug Baldwin at, at his uh, ADP right now. I think it was number 14 overall. I think he finished last year, and you know, you're mentioning he's going 27th uh, at the wide receiver position. I think there is value there. I don't think he's going to get anywhere near what he did last year. I think he finished with 14 touchdowns on the year as well, just off the Yeah, top. he went like, yeah. he had like 10 touchdowns in six games. Yeah, so that, that's very unsustainable, and um, you know, now there is going to be that other option there as well with Lockett. Lockett's somebody I've picked up in a number of drafts this year. Um, you know, I've picked him up to be the wide, wide receiver three, and I think that is good value. I think since Matt Harmon talked about him on reception perception a few weeks ago, he's really really took a, a couple of round bump as well but um you know out of that i do have to agree with you just want to ask pat before we jump on to the next team uh, when we're on the situation of jimmy graham uh, completely ignoring him this year or just waiting to see what happens maybe in camp he's somebody that i think that you know they're very talking very positively coming off this achilles i was very or off the patella tent and i was very worried about it but seems like they seem to be quite positive uh, heading into the season I mean, as Doug alluded to, you know, it's about as serious of an injury as an NFL player can suffer. So major, major red flag. But, you know, they're talking like he's going to be ready for week one, which to me, you know, I'm not really seeing how that's possible. But uh, it is Jimmy Graham. And if he's actually going to be ready for week one, he's kind of going to like the tight end 12 to 14 range. And so I'm not really sure I'm going with with this answer because he's in the 12 to 14 range which to me if he's ready for week one is probably just about right yeah no I do agree and you you mentioned as well that they're talking and I said they're very positive you said they're talking that he's going to be ready for week one well if you go back to this time last year the Giants were very optimistic that Victor Cruz was going to be ready for week one too and we all know how that ended up with his zero snaps in the entire season so we'll move on now I was going to say you you broke it down perfectly where they are really spitting some sunshine right now but that's definitely kind of a, a patella tendon is a believe it when you see it for week one agree 100 percent that bounce on we have two teams to go we're going to try and get through them in the 10 minute spell and if you're looking at these two teams maybe there's not a lot to uh, fill them 10 minutes 49ers up first obviously chip (laughs) kelly's jumping aboard this season Uh, his time with the eagles ended very very badly but when you look at what he did with the eagles you know he did have fantasy relevance even though the team wasn't in that good and what we're looking for is not for good teams we're looking for good fantasy players and i think that when you look around this uh, 49ers offense this year there's definitely going to be fantasy points to have spread around and i'm just going to do it similar to what i did with you on the last one pat i'm going to give you the open floor to pick what situation interests you the most uh, you know the player i'm highest on in this this roster is tory smith uh, i think he's going to be a big bounce back here but i'm going to let you just jump aboard and uh, pick what you fancy if anything out of the uh, 49ers offense yeah, I mean, I used to be a Chip Kelly fanboy, but as he's as he's overextended himself so much as a general manager, it's kind of it's kind of thing where he's been so bad as a GM, it kind of started making me question his coaching. You know, yeah. is this guy actually as smart as I think he was? And you know, last year, that offense, you know, there were, the offense was on a steady downward trajectory all three years when he was in Philadelphia, and now he's got a 49ers offense that I think is 
probably less talented in every position group than the 2015 Eagles were. Maybe the running back situation's a little better, but you know, for a guy who I used to love so much and who you know probably still is a legitimate offensive genius, this maybe has just gotten too full of himself or something. I don't know, but if I have to pick anyone, I'm still going to pick Carlos Hyde. He was one of my favorite players to watch last year before he kind of got hurt. Well, not kind of before he got hurt and started <laughs> playing hurt. And but you know, he's he's a guy. He runs with such authority, but. You know, he's on, in an awful offense. The game strip's going to be horrible all year, and he's got a pretty questionable injury history. So if there's one 49er, I'm, you know, I won't be upset about having on my team as Carlos Hyde, but it's with the acknowledgement that it, you know, it could go downhill very quickly. And I agree, uh, Torrey Smith, in theory, should be great in the Chip Kelly offense, but you know, there's no one kind of around him to take pressure off him at tight end or receiver and the quarterback situation is so shaky or he's a guy I thought I was going to kind of be more excited about than I actually am as I kind of dug into the situation so you're obviously not on the the Vance McDonald hype train but uh, when no. you're looking at <laughs> when you're looking at Carlos Hyde uh, you know he's had a, a real trouble staying on the field over his time uh, in, in the league and that there's my concern is health but we all look back to that game last year uh, against the Vikings and uh, made some nice moves in that one but I think yeah that was one of the best week one mirage games of all time looking yeah. back we all thought he- that we all thought that uh, you know the vikings were going to be absolutely terrible they win the division and we thought that the uh, 49ers had something to offer and we know how that train wreck ended but uh doug who have you got on the 49ers anyone excited about this season yeah the one guy i'm probably excited about uh the most would probably be carlos hyde um we've yeah, seen chip kelly you know produce fantasy relevant players that we didn't think we're going to produce Mark Sanchez when he was playing quarterback. He threw for a lot of yards, a lot of touchdowns, but also a lot of interceptions, which evens out in the end. But I think that, you know, and granted, you can call it a mirage game. I think, you know, he's still a second round pick who, you know, was very talented coming, I believe, out of Ohio State. Um, yeah. So, it, so it was, sorry, to, to, when I said mirage game, I didn't mean to suggest that I like. I think Carlos Hyde's really, really good. No, when you compare like, it to the rest of the season, definitely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I'm like, wow, this you know this is gonna be a special year. For me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I took a bet that he was gonna finish outside the top twenty last year, and he did because of you know how much he he missed with that uh, foot injury, I believe it was. So it, it's really interesting to see. But it, and like you said, game script is definitely gonna dictate it. But I think they're gonna run enough plays that they're still going to be able to make a, a running back relevant. Now, granted, it may be hard behind this offensive line um, because it is one of the shallower uh, offensive lines in the league. But I guess if there's one bit of good news, granted, we just saw that uh, Anthony Davis is coming out of retirement, or at least he submitted his papers to come out. I'm still skeptical he's going to be with the team, but that would be an upgrade over what they have right now. With I think it's Eric Pierce right now. Um so it's just interesting overall. I, I, I'm on the Vance McDonald hype train, actually. <laughs> I think I, ex- I, I actually do like him this year. Um, I think we saw last year Chip Kelly did pretty well, no matter. I, I granted, he didn't use Zach Ertz the way we wanted him to use, but he still used Brent Selleck. And I think Zach Ertz actually did pretty well in the end to finish yeah. off the, the season. So I, I still think that there's going to be a guy that's going to be relevant to tight end position. A wide receiver, there's really no depth. I would say if there's a guy I like, it's probably going to be Toy Smith. But I also mentioned Eric Rodgers as well, just because there's really nobody else. It's a wide-open competition. But, yeah, there's not a lot to like here. I, I still think that Carlos Hyde, even though I like him, is still being overdrafted right now, number 13 running back uh, in MFL leagues right now, over guys like Thomas Rawls, Deion Lewis, Latavius Murray. Not sure I would take Carlos Hyde there. Um, but, you know, it, it's just a situation where there's a lot of, 
you know, ifs here. Who's going to play quarterback? Who's going to be the number two wide receiver? Who's going to be their number one tight end? If it is Vance McDonald, it could be Garrett Selleck. It could be Blake Bell. So it's just a lot of ifs. This team is not going to do that well, I think, when you have a league or even a division where you have Arizona and Seattle in the same one. But uh, I I still think with Chip Kelly there, they're going to run enough plays, high-volume offense, where they're gonna they're gonna make someone relevant. I would say it's probably gonna be uh, Hyde, but I don't like his his price tag right now. Yeah, I agree. I think that's the same situation. The quarterback battle obviously going on at the minute. Kaepernick and Gabbard. I think it's just let's see how that plays out. They may be somebody to pick up off the waiver wire if you're streaming. You know, uh, week in week out, maybe later in the season when it starts to become a little bit more clear. I wouldn't be going with either of those two guys. The only other running back really that you'd be looking at, Sean Drone, who had nice spot starts last year uh, towards the end of the season, but. Uh, somebody who obviously if Curtis Hyde is healthy isn't going to get many uh, tar- <laughs> many rushes or targets I don't think uh, if you're looking then DeAndre Smelter Quentin Patton and Bruce Ellington are uh, behind Tory Smith but Smith as I mentioned is going uh, wide receiver 44 off the board uh, in the ninth round so I think he's I, I would expect him every uh, number one wide receiver that Chip Kelly's had has uh, got over 100 targets in the season so I think if he gets that uh, I think he should try and he should be heading closer to that uh, at least top 30 range in wide receivers last team to go to Los Angeles Rams um not a lot to talk about here obviously Jeff Fisher this team's going to finish eight and eight this season maybe <laughs> seven and nine depends uh, can't see them getting to nine and seven I think that's too much of a stretch but uh, outside of that there obviously Todd Gurley stud your number one running back heading into the season I think he's the only running back really at the top of that list that there's in my opinion no doubt about other than the team going to be bad but I think He's just going to get fed the ball. Came off a knee injury last season heading into it, and there was concerns about his health heading in with the knee injury recovery. But heading into the season now, a season under his belt, fully healthy, uh, should be definitely just a a stud running back uh, this season. Then there's Tavon Austin, who I still uh, hold out hopes for. But outside of those two guys, uh, you're going for Lance Kendricks. Is there anybody on there that you're you're jumping aboard that train, uh, Pat? Uh, you know, yeah, I, I think Todd Gurley is now the consensus number one running back. Yeah. He did exactly what he was expected to as a rookie, and probably even a little more. You know, not very often the rookie gets a you thousand know, yards. Like I said in my rankings article, like a thousand yard, over a thousand yards, ten touchdowns, and averaged over four point eight yards per carry. You know, ro- no rookie offense. had done that since yeah. Alfred Morris. Yeah, yeah, and, and a terrible offense. The, you know, the offense will be slightly better this year, I think. And like Tavon Austin, you know, has kind of been one of the fantasy like punching bag for years and years and years, but was quietly top thirty in both standard and PPR last year. And it seems like they've kind of finally figured out how to best utilize him and. He's another guy where you can probably get him like 35, 36 range. I think he could pretty easily overperform that. So Tavon Austin is kind of, you know, if I was talking about any Ram under the radar, it's kind of hard for it to be a former number eight overall pick. But I'd say <laughs> Tavon Austin still goes a little bit under the radar. Yeah, definitely agree with you there. When you're looking at Austin, my problem with him is, and I own him in some leagues last year, I own him in dynasty leagues from when he came out in the draft. And he's a player who, there was games last year where he had, you know, 22, 23 points. And there's games where he has one and a half points. You know, you're, yes, you're trying he's to he's a, he's de- Yeah, he's definitely a baseball style player. And if you put him in your lineup at a spot start and he hits for you, you're loving it. But if you put him in one of those weeks where, he, you know, he gets nothing, uh, it's just it's just a bad week for you. Doug, any of the guys uh, in uh, St. L- or in L.A. still say in St. Louis? That's, you know, that still stings around here. Yeah, and I know Pat's in St. Louis, <laughs> so uh, I was trying to avoid that. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I'm sorry. I know it's it's a rough subject. Uh, I, I don't know what that's like. Um, but um, 
no, there, there's just not much to like here. I, I think besides Gurley, it's really a toss-up. I don't think there's another uh, situation. The only reason why I think David Johnson, and I'll say this, I think David Johnson will have a better year than than Todd Gurley. And, and it's hard to say that because we see more out of Todd Gurley than we saw to David Johnson, arguably. Todd Gurley came back from the ACL tear and just tore it up, I guess, for a lack of a better term. Um, but... I think the the things that Todd Gurley doesn't have is he doesn't have as good of a defense as the Cardinals. I think it's fair to say that the, the Cardinals have a better defense than the Rams. They don't have as good of an offensive line as the Cardinals do, and they don't have as good of, you know, an offensive playmaking system where I, when I say that, I, I mean quarterback where you have a rookie coming in there who, who knows how he's going to do, and there's no wide receivers. There's nothing to be scared about this passing offense, so you know that the way that the Rams are most likely going to get points is by running the ball, because I don't think you're going to expect much out of their passing game. I think you'd be crazy to, and and I think it hurts because, again, you're in a division where you're facing uh, Arizona and uh, Seattle twice a year. I'm not saying the 49ers are that tough because they used to be, but they're not anymore. But still, I think it's just a situation where, yes, Todd Gurley is going to be a top five running back if healthy. But I think that the upside that a guy like David Johnson does with the supporting cast around them, uh, I, I think is a little bit better. But yeah, uh, just to summarize, I guess, for, for talking too long, as as I always do, uh, <laughs> is, uh, is, is Todd Gurley is the only fancy relevant guy, I would say, right now. Besides maybe Tavon Austin, barely, in, uh, in fantasy leagues this year. Uh, I think when you talk about the Rams as well, you mentioned them not having as good a defense as the Cardinals. I think, you know, if you look at their the back end of the defense, maybe there's some worries about, but the front side, the front seven, I think, is, you know, up there in the top five in the league. No, I definitely. Think. It's and a very I, good yeah, defense. I would actually agree with Colin. The Rams, you know, the Rams defense, as someone who lives in St. Louis, has a tendency to be overrated, but it could actually kind of be kind of a, a really good defense this yeah, year. I think so. No, good. I'm not saying it's not a good defense. I'm just saying when you look at Arizona, where it's solid at all 11 positions almost, yeah. compared to the Rams, who may have a really good front seven, but have a really shaky secondary, I think that they have a better overall defense. Now, in terms of playmakers, who knows? But I, I still think there's a better overall defense in, in uh, Arizona. But don't get me wrong. I, I, I think this has a really good uh, defense, the, the Rams do. We'll let you have your moment then, Doug, and we'll let you off the hook on that one. But uh, I think I think with Todd Gurley, we could be seeing something similar to when uh, Peterson started, you know, it was with the Vikings and, the, you know, those them years. I know we talked about Blaine Gabbard with the 49ers, but he was there and there was really nothing else happening on offense and it was just fed through Peterson. And I think Gurley is a talented enough running back that he can just make it work getting through there. We seen him last year playing against, you know, them, the Seahawks, you know, the Cardinals, and he still got points on the board uh, and was very, very impressive. I think that... You know, you could work it both ways, and we can paint a picture whatever way we like to paint it. But uh, I think that maybe we'll have to have some sort of a little bet, Doug, between me and you, because uh, I'm taking Todd Gurley uh, <laughs> to have a better season than David Johnson. But we'll we'll see what happens there. Uh, obviously, to finish up, Pat's on Twitter. It's at RotoPat. Uh, definitely worth following him there. A lot of fun tweets, uh, a lot of interesting tweets. Not always football related, but always a lot of fun. His work is up on RotoWorld.com. I mentioned the pre-draft rankings went up today. Definitely do check them out. Obviously the podcast is on itunes it's on stitcher it's on all the good ways keep spreading the word of the podcast if it's your first time listening maybe you came true because you heard pat was on on the show uh, hit that subscribe button if you enjoyed what you heard i mentioned earlier that nfl euro shop uh, promo code that will be on twitter tomorrow at overtime ireland so do get yourself some bargains there get 10 percent off on all the products on their site and out of that that's usually 
I'll let the promos done out of the way. Uh, thanks to both the guys for coming on. I mentioned I'm on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Doug's on Twitter at NFL. Check out all the articles he writes for the uh, about 400 sites that he's working for at the moment. But 300. 300. <laughs> uh, until we're back. Uh, we're actually, I was about to say until we're back next week, we're back. Uh, it'll either come out, it's been recorded Wednesday, it'll either be out Wednesday or Thursday. Mike Clay of ESPN. So uh, two solid guests as the list of good guests continues here in the podcast. Thanks once again, Pat, for jumping aboard the show. No, definitely my pleasure, and uh, yeah, you know, helps me. I feel like I'm back at home uh, six <laughs> generations ago or whatever. Uh, been in America a while, but, uh, you know. <laughs> but uh, of course, until we're back later in the week, uh, have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Check out OvertimeIreland.com and continue to spread the word. This has been an Overtime Ireland production.